Thank you, Kate. Appreciate that. Good evening. Hi. <laughs> I, I like saying that because I really want you to know that you can talk back. If I say something to you, you're allowed to say something back. Um, <laughs> there we go. Um, <clears throat> if you're new with us, my name is Daniel, as she just said, and, and um, I'm one of the pastors, and uh, I'm just I'm so glad that we're getting to go through Luke. Luke. We, we have been walking through the gospel of Luke for some time. We just kind of plod along, and we've got a little ways to go. So we're going to be basically to the end of the year just, just plodding along, uh, all things. Uh, oh, God willing, we're going to be doing that. So I'm um, eager to get into this with you. So one thing that keeps me humble before the Lord is the potential for blind spots. You know, when you walk through life and you, you have this, you know, you're so convinced that you have it right, right? But, but all, all along, you really have the wrong rule book. And, 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 you know, the Lord has been kind a couple times in my life to reveal those blind spots. One example is, you know, for much of my Christian life, I actually believed that it was, it was bad if I confessed my sins to other people. Why, why, would, why would I think that? I, I thought it because, A, uh, I might tempt them to sin if I tell them about my sin, right? And, and B, I, they may not respect me as much, be, you know, and then I wouldn't be able to minister to them uh, moving forward. You know, those, those are really, really bad reasons not to confess your, your sin to somebody. And, and looking back, you know, I have probably the same reaction as some of you had. It's kind of cringy. You're like, what in the world was I thinking? How was I so blind? How was I so blind? I think, you know, these are, these are things that, that, that we sometimes have, and it, and it keeps me humble before the Lord, just asking God, show me mercy. You know, Jesus is very kind not to leave us in our air, isn't he? He is very kind. You know, God knows every detail of your heart, every little ounce, right? And he is so kind to not let whatever darkness that might still exist there Remain. He's kind. We see in Luke Jesus doing just that by, by pressing into people's hearts. And last week we saw that he, he challenged the crowds for their unbelief. He challenged the crowds and he actually calls them an evil generation. You know, it's kind of a, a harsh word, right? You are an evil generation. But ultimately, he's, he's calling them on their hardness of heart, their response to Jesus and his word. And this week, in today's text, as we just read, Jesus is going to press in a little bit more and expose the blindness, the hardness of heart, the hypocrisy of some spiritual leaders' hearts. He's, he's going to expose more darkness. And it's not just those who are clearly far from God that we're going to see him exposed. God is going to show up and highlight the darkness in the religious leaders' hearts. I believe that today's text may be challenging. Jesus' words here may be challenging for some of us. It sure was for me as I've been reading and preparing. And I just want to ask the Lord one more time for grace. Let's pray one more time together. Father, I am just simply asking you to pour out your mercy, your grace upon me and expose the hypocrisy that may exist, the blind spots that may exist in me. And I pray the same for my friends, for this church that you've called me to shepherd. Father, I ask that you'd open our eyes to our darkness and that you would be merciful to transform us and not let us stay in our air. God, I ask that you would find your bride to be pure in the last day. Find your bride to be pure. We want to be holy. So come now. Let me be a help and not a hindrance to my brothers and sisters. Speak through me, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. So... 
Let's go ahead and dive in. The first section starts with verse 33, where Jesus uses a word picture and and really a series of proverbs to uh, show us the importance of our inner health. To show us the importance of our inner, inner health. Let's read again there, verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. So like Jesus often does in his teaching, he takes common images, common pictures, and teaches us a spiritual truth. And, and here, Jesus is actually comparing himself to a lamp, to himself and his preaching to a lamp that's shining for all to see. You see, Jesus has just talked uh, a little further up about himself as the greater Solomon. So he's, he's using that sort of language. So it's not strange that he's still referring to himself when he's talking about light. There's a, there's a flow in the text. So Jesus and his word are not hidden. You know, he's, they're, not, they're not hidden, but they've been openly, you know, he, everyone is seeing the light of Christ. And that, that is what Jesus is saying there right off the bat. He has openly and widely proclaimed the, the good news of the way into the kingdom. But verse 34 shows that Jesus' light, that, that people see that light in various ways. People receive or, or respond to the word in different ways. So let's look at verse 34. Jesus says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you, another translation says the light you think you have, is darkness. If then... Your whole body is full of light, having no part dark. It will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Okay, honestly, when I read this and almost every time I read this, it's, it's one of those really challenging ones for me. It can be really hard to follow Jesus's uh, flow here and how this all fits together. But Jesus, again, as I said before, is talking about spiritual sight, He's talking about spiritual sight and the way that our spiritual sight relates to our whole person and more more particularly how it relates to our souls, how how our spiritual sight relates to our inner health, our inner man. And and again, Jesus is using just these common Im- images to try to show us something spiritual. And, and he again explains that, that when you, what he's trying to explain is when you see Jesus with spiritually healthy eyes, he says, you are full of light. That's, that's his point. When you see Jesus with spiritually healthy eyes, you are full of light. You have light within you. But when you have spiritually bad or literally evil eyes, you are, and you see Jesus through the evil eyes, you are full of darkness, he says. So again, Jesus is warning the people to be aware of their inner spiritual health. He said above, you're an evil generation, you seek a sign. Right? There's, there's this, he's exposing hearts, and now he's, he's going in to explain the way you perceive me. It points, it says something about your inner health. It says something about your heart. He says this, therefore, be careful. Be careful. He's saying to the crowds, be careful. It's possible for you to have blind spots. It is possible that the light that is within you In other words, the message that directs your life may actually be darkness. And it might be causing you to reject me, Jesus. To put it simply, your perception of Jesus reveals the health of your heart. Your perception of Jesus reveals the health of your heart. If you have a healthy eye, to ha- sorry, to have a healthy eye is to have a light-filled heart that sees Jesus rightly and therefore responds to him in repentance and faith. That's what, it, that's what it means to have a healthy eye and a light-filled heart. It's those that respond to Jesus and his message rightly. 
So these crowds were rejecting Jesus, and they thought they were seeing rightly, right? They thought that they had light guiding them. They thought that they had truth guiding them to reject Jesus, but it was really darkness within. Some, however, believed in Jesus, and these, Jesus says in verse 36, Not only are they going to follow the light, but they will themselves begin to shine like a light. They will shine the light of Christ. I think what it means is that they're going to shine Christ's light to others. How are they going to shine? I believe that Jesus is talking about their works, the the message that they from their mouth, from their everything that they do. So. Jesus, again, exposes, he's exposing hearts. And you know what? Jesus does that. He exposes what's in our hearts and he teaches us. He teaches us. This text is teaching us how to identify whether our heart is good or evil, light or dark. So there's two things I think that this text points out that teaches us how how to, to test whether our hearts, uh, what's in our hearts. Number one, Your response to Jesus in his word, your response to Jesus in his word exposes your heart. And number two, the works that your life produces exposes your heart. Now, the rest of our text will largely get after this, this second piece, the works, the works of our life will expose our heart. So let's look at verse 37. This gets into a lot more of the meat of the text. So while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. Real quick, who again are the Pharisees? These are the religious elite. They're, they're teachers of the law. They are the, the most influential of the three major sects. There's the, uh, in, in Jerusalem at the time, there was the um, Sadducees and the Essenes. And the Pharisees had the influence. People weighed their words heavily. So we're told that this Pharisee invites Jesus into his home to eat with him. And, and you may remember already in the narrative that that. The Pharisees are not exactly Jesus's best friends. Like these guys have been the greatest critics. They've been, they've been threatening to him. They've called him a, 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 a lawbreaker. They're going hard after Jesus. And guess what? Jesus still goes and dines with one of his enemies, which I think should tell us something about how we interact with our enemies. Amen. Luke describes the event. Jesus went in, he reclines at table, and verse 38 says that the Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. He was astonished that Jesus didn't wash. This was a big deal to the Pharisees because they had a a tradition. They had an oral tradition, as as some call it, and, and, and it's not the law of God, but something in addition to the law that that is trying to basically keep them, you know, spotless, keep them from ever getting close to that, any, any uncleanness, any, any breaking of the law. So they're, they're, they've got these, these oral traditions. And one of those is washing hands beforehand so they won't be unclean. And, and whether, I'm not sure, I, I could totally see Jesus intentionally not washing his hands, you know, but I, I don't know if that's the case or if he just comes in there. But either way, this is a teaching moment for Jesus. Listen to what, how he replies. He says, verse 39, and the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and you neglect the just, you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Wow, that is quite a a response. Guys, you know, seeing Jesus not wash his hands, he's sitting there, you know, all of a sudden, you can kind of see the, the shock on his face as he's, he's watching Jesus, uh, you know, break one of their traditions. And Jesus 
comes after him. He responds like this. And what is he, what is he ultimately saying? He, he is calling their hypocrisy. He is calling them on the true deadness of their hearts. He's calling them on the fact that while these religious leaders are so caught up and, and find it like such an important thing to prevent uncleanness, their hearts are just utterly unclean. He says, you're actually full of greed and wickedness. On the inside, it is disgusting. Everything looks good on the outside. You're so focused, but it's inside disgusting. They're following the rule book perfectly. The oral tradition, for sure, they're, they're following that. Yes, they're trying to follow the law perfectly. Everyone looks in and says, wow, those guys have it. Those guys really know what it's like to follow God. But Jesus exposes the fact that deep down, these leaders were more interested in selfish gain, more interested in their position than they were about worshiping God and about loving the people that he had called them to serve. They neglect justice and the love of God. I think those are pointing to the, to the chief commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love, love your neighbor as yourself. They have neglected the chief concern of God's law while focusing on all kinds of other things. And God says, there's a wickedness in you. Ultimately, they excelled while others were looking, and they were godless loveless towards God and others when they're in private and, and within their hearts, Jesus is showing that that is the case. They're pointing, he's pointing out the hypocrisy of their lives. Luke describes Pharisees elsewhere as, as lovers of money. They tithed. Everybody would see that they tithed, but there was no care for the poor. They were, they were disinterested. They, they just simply wanted to make sure they followed the rules and that everybody else did the same. They showed up and they did their duty. They taught the people, yet little did anyone know they were dead inside. People are, are walking over them and Matthew calls them whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. Whitewashed tombs. It's from Matthew 23, 27. This, this behavior, Jesus says, is just downright foolish. He calls them fools directly. That would, really, that would really be a bummer to hear Jesus straight up say, you fool. And he does. He says, you fools. What is it that, that's so foolish to Jesus? It's foolish that, that all of this is, is pointing out the fact that they, they don't recognize the fact that God knows everything that's on the inside. It's, it's, it's neglecting the fact that God made both the outside, everything they're trying to clean on the outside, and the inside. He knows your heart, and they are totally missing it with their behavior. God knows our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows our deep inner thoughts. He knows our ambitions, every single detail of our hearts. And this is exactly what Jesus talked about earlier. The light that they thought they had was truly darkness. The light that they thought that they had within was truly darkness. And they were fooling themselves and other people, but not God. They were fooling themselves. They were fooling a lot of other people, but they are not fooling God, and neither are we. God knows what's in our hearts. Before I go on, I just want to speak to Jesus' tone here. I think for some of us, it's hard to hear and read, you know, Jesus say these sorts of things. You fools. Or he's going to, we're going to get into the woes. You know, woe to you. It's hard for us to hear that because I think, I think some of us picture, when we picture Jesus, we, we picture a, a man without a backbone, somebody that's, that's always and only gentle, always and only kind of like it, it, it's love without any, with, again, without any backbone, without any uh, power behind it, boldness behind it. But, but that is not the Jesus of the Bible. Friends, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. When we read about Jesus, we read about a man who is not afraid to speak bold truth. He's a man who's a strong leader. 
He's a man who is, yes, gentle and kind. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But he is always going to call you on hypocrisy. He is always going to be bold to speak truth like the prophets of old. He is indeed the greatest of the prophets. Amen. He is. He's not afraid. So further, further, it seems maybe we read this and we, we, we hear his tone and we think, man, Jesus seems really angry. And maybe that's, that's unsettling for you. But church, he is angry. There is, a, there is a real anger, a real anger that Jesus has at, at, at these, these leaders and how they're responding to him. He's angry and disturbed by the hardness of their hearts. He's especially angry with these, these spiritual leaders who have just have, have, have combed through these words. And somehow they find a way to do everything but live the law. They, they, they do everything but actually live the heart of God's word. So he is angry, and that anger, guess what? It drives him to lovingly, wisely rebuke them for their hypocrisy. I know it's hard to, to sometimes see the, 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 the combination of anger and love, you know, that God could possibly be angry with our sin and yet so lovingly call us on it and invite us out of it. It's hard to understand that, but that's true. And that's actually what Jesus is doing here. He lovingly rebukes their hypocrisy, which is leading them and their followers to hell. That is loving. That is a loving thing. When you find that scripture has rebukes like this, calling you, warning you, when you find that church members, family, friends, whoever it may be, when they come to you and call you on your sin, call you on your hypocrisy, I need you to understand that that is not, it's not hatred. It's, if they're coming to you with, with a, a concern for your heart and they come lovingly saying, Challenging your sinful behavior. I need you to understand the love behind those rebukes. We need to, as a church, understand how important that is for us as a, as a, as a Christian people. It is so, so important if we're going to make it to the end that we get really used to and even invite people into our lives to, to call us on the hard things. When they see sin... We don't want to be blind for our entire lives and find at the end that we were blind, that we were walking in those, those steps that were evil. Friends, Jesus, if he were here on this earth, I can't give you a percentage, but I think highly likely that a lot of the rebukes that we hear from our brothers and sisters are precisely what Jesus would say if he were sitting in front of you calling you on that same sin. Why? Because we are... Abiding by the same book that our Lord Jesus did. When he calls people, the, the, the prophets, uh, and these spiritual leaders here, he's calling them on the same things that the, the prophets of old called, called the spiritual leaders on. And we get to study God's character, study his word, understand the heart of the law. And when we watch somebody in our community walking down a path that is destructive and that's, that's hurting others, Oh, friends, we're going we're gonna to share with you the word of God. And I want you to know that, that that's a good and loving thing for you. Look at, look at verse. Oh, well, I just need to say this. It's a loving thing because that, that word that they might share with you may be the means that would save you from a much longer eternal pain, right? So a little pain here is totally worthwhile if it's saving you from a lasting punishment for a sin that you're unrepentant from, right? Luke, Luke, uh, Luke continues in verse 41. I'm sorry, Jesus continues. But give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean. Jesus is identifying here explaining to the Pharisees what true worship looks like. What true worship looks like. True worship comes from within. It comes from the heart. True worship 
Jesus says, when, when you're giving from within, when you're giving alms or, or sharing with the poor, whatever it is that, that they're doing, when you're doing that from within as an overflow of love for God, everything is clean. Pharisees, you don't, all this stuff that you're doing to wash, all the care that you make, it's backwards. Like, if you want to do those rituals, that's fine. Rituals in, in, the, in and of themselves are not bad. If you want to do some rituals, as long as what's at the center is a love for God and a love for people. Friends, if you're, if you're a newer believer in here, or maybe, maybe not just, I'm not going to just limit to newer believer. If you're, you're an older believer, I need you to know that you do not have to dress like me. <laughs> You do not have to talk like me. You do not have to be like me, you know, in really any, any way. I don't I want to take that pressure off of you, and, and, and you don't have to be like anybody in this room. You don't need to look apart. Like, you don't need to look like all people's church so long as your heart is just absolutely overflowing with love for God and all the things that you do. I thought about wearing just just the most <laughs> ridiculous thing up here. So you'd be like, what kind of preacher is that? Like he wears like, I don't know, he looks like Sam with his flip-flops and shorts. And No, um, no like I, I we, we, we want to look presentable. But man, I, uh, Sam, it's just ridiculous. You know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> you, you don't need to look like me, you don't have to follow my rule book so long as it, it, you know, obviously follow me as I follow Christ, but, but you're not trying to look just like me. I want you to have a heart that overflows in love for God. I want your generosity towards others. I want all the things that you do here, the way that you look, everything you are to look like uh, or to look like Jesus and to be out of an overflow for him. And Jesus just simply says, like, sometimes the things that look like it breaks the rules are actually totally okay with God. Sometimes people, like, I, I mean, I don't know if you know new, new believers. Like, sometimes you'll, you'll watch a new believer and, and you, you'll sit there and pray with them. And, and they're just, like, breaking all the rules and how you pray. And, like, I don't know. They're just all over the place. But that, that doesn't need, necessarily need to be correct. I mean, as you, as you grow with them, I'm on a tangent right now. But I'm just saying, this is not what Jesus is focused on. He's focused on what's within Church, you could be the most faithful attender. You're at Sunday gathering. You got MC down. You got the DNA thing happening. You might be a faithful giver. And friends, if that is, if that is, if that's not coming from your heart, and you have little thought for God when you come in here, little thought for for His people, little thought for God when you leave. And throughout the week, there's, it's just like you really have no interest in God. You have no interest in knowing what's going on in the body. Friends, our, our attendance, all those things that we do, they, they just really don't mean anything to God. I want you to hear that. God cares about what your heart is doing. So Jesus says to them these, these words that are so challenging. Woe to you. What's with these words in verse 42? Woe to you. We really don't use that phrase. I don't know when's the last time you heard someone say woe to you. I hope not recently. Um, but we don't really use those. So what, what does that mean? I, my favorite Bible lexicon, I, I, uh, such a nerdy word, but I, I love this, this one lexicon. And, and it, it defines this word woe as, quote, an interjection denoting pain or pleasure. It's an interjection denoting pain or pleasure, or sorry, displeasure. I messed that up. An interject, wow. An interjection denoting pain or displeasure. That would be like the opposite, my word. It's basically an emotionally strong way to denounce and to express the miserable condition of another. So this is this is not. 
Jesus angrily cursing them, as you might see on a movie, in a movie scene, you know, where they're mad at each other, cursing each other in anger, or, or in a TV show. It's not like that. It's, it's actually coming from a deep place of sorrow. Yes, there's anger, but it is, it is essentially Jesus coming, uh, saying, you are miserable, you are miserable and the state of your hearts are miserable and your future is miserable because of what your hearts are saying about you right now. There's, there's a deep grief that the Lord has, I believe, in these words. You're miserable and your future will be miserable because of the state of your hearts. I would assume that that is the sort of response that some of us have when we are are in the world or around our family and we we watch people just boast in their sinful behavior they just boast in it and our hearts just grieve we say oh god they don't understand what they're doing they don't know the misery that they're headed for they think it's light. You know, they're, they're, they are rejoicing in the path that they're following, and it is darkness within, and they're on a path to destruction. So this, this, is, this, this heart of grief, it's, it's not about a, a sinfully angry or even a demeaning heart towards someone, but it's a heart full of sorrow towards another. Now, do you understand why Jesus is so emotional here? Now do you understand? He brings strong words. He brings emotional words because, because the Pharisees and all those who they are leading are headed to destruction. They're perishing in their sin. So Jesus is loving. He's passionate to correct them with these strong words. Luke continues with the narrative and there's a new, a new group that, that steps up. Look at verse 45. One of the lawyers answered Jesus, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us too, or all, us also. The, the lawyers were experts in the law. They were, they're also called scribes. And, and these were, in fact, like the, they were like the theologians that the, that the Pharisees learned from. They were, they were instructed by the Pharisees were instructed by the scribes. So naturally, if Jesus is, is pointing out the Pharisees' flaws, it's, it's very much directed at them because they're the ones that are kind of leading them down that path, right? You're insulting us, Jesus. You're insulting us in saying these things. Let's see how Jesus responds. He said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Jesus actually goes harder at these guys. He's not intimidated by their position and he is not, he's not, uh, he doesn't shrink back because they just said he insulted them. No, Jesus keeps speaking this bold that life-giving word. He keeps speaking the truth. And, and here he's, he's pointing out what he's saying is, with your endless laws and traditions, you make it impossible for a common person to follow God. You make it impossible. You load people with burdens that are impossible to bear. You don't even help them. You don't lift a finger. Imagine if you had a running coach. You're headed to the Olympics because you would be that good. And, and your, your running coach is every single time that you start to run, they say, don't run like that. Hey, those are wrong shoes. You got to put on different shoes. Your hair is really in bad shape right now. Oh, you're breathing bad. Like, and yet all that could, could be good advice. You might be, you know, a horrible runner. You might, you might be. <laughs> But then the coach does nothing to help them do it right. At least that would be bad coaching, wouldn't it? Be horrible. At least is hard on her athletes, but she at least tells them what to do, right? She at least shows them the right way. Not so with these men, with these leaders. They 
They cared more about their procedures. They cared more about others listening to them, obeying them, than they did about the spiritual condition, about the physical condition of the people that they were called to serve. And it grieved the Lord. The darkness of their heart is even worse, though. Let's, let's keep going. 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Man, what is happening here? This is, this is a really challenging word. Jesus says, woe to you because you build the prophets' tombs. What's, what's wrong with that? You see, the prophets who were ultimately, sorry, I missed my notes here. The, the scribes in building tombs or, or building monuments for the prophets to honor them, they think they're honoring them by, by setting up all these elaborate tombs. But ironically, Jesus points out that they are dishonoring these same men that they build tombs for. They're dishonoring them how? They're dishonoring them by by failing to listen to their message. They reject the message of the prophets. This is, in fact, the very thing that Jesus says. This is the reason, this dishonor, this rejection of the word is is the reason that Jesus calls them witnesses and consenters of their father's actions. Let me get, let's go a little deeper. How are they, how are they consenters to the murdering of the prophets? You see the prophets of old, you think of Jeremiah and, and Isaiah, Ezekiel, these guys were ultimately persecuted and killed because they spoke messages that these guys' fathers, frankly, hated. It was unfavorable and it drove them to persecute and kill the prophets, right? So like their fathers, <clears throat> The scribes reject the message of the prophets, not only the prophets of the past, but also modern day prophets, those like John the Baptist and Jesus himself. They they reject Jesus, the very one that the prophets foretold, the very one that the prophets all over said, this is the Messiah. And they twist the prophets words in, in a number of different ways, and in all, these, in all these things, they ultimately dishonor the prophets, and in their building of the tombs, it's, it's ironically a consenting, a witnessing of the killings of the prophets. They're just like their fathers, ultimately, and in this way, they consent to those murders. Even more, they would actually be like their fathers in killing modern-day prophets, where am I getting this? Look, look in the next verse, 49. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. This is a complicated phrase. You don't really see that the wisdom of God language in, in other places in scripture. What I, but I believe the best way to interpret this is to see that Jesus is himself prophesying. He's himself prophesying as a prophet of the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit that that God, another another place, God is going to send prophets and apostles. Another place we read, I will send. Jesus says, I will send prophets and apostles. And guess what? You're going to kill them. You're going to persecute them. You're going to flog them. I believe that this is Jesus prophesying about the fact that they're going to be just like their fathers and do the same thing that their fathers did. They reject their message and ultimately they kill them. Luke's readers would have known some of the, the prophets and apostles that, that were killed. They would have known of, of Stephen. They would have known of, of James, the apostle, of James, Jesus's brother, and, and on and on. This, this word, the apostles, they would have known this as the 12. All the 12 were going to be rejected and, and, and killed ultimately. And some of these men right here are going to be responsible. So not only do they consent to the killings in their rejection of the prophet's message, they're also consenting and becoming just like their fathers and killing modern prophets. Jesus adds these haunting words in, in the middle of verse 49. He says, so that the blood of all the prophets 
shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. This is frightening language. This is frightening judgment language. She's in essence saying at the judgment, this generation will be responsible for all of that bloodshed. All of it from Abel all the way up to Zechariah, all the blood of the prophets. This generation will give an account for every drop. Why does Jesus use that generation language when he says that this generation will be responsible? I think the reason is, you know, back in verse 29, Jesus spoke to the crowds and he called them an evil generation. I think Jesus here is, is saying not only the leaders, but all those who follow you, who you are, are instructing and causing to reject me, all of them, all of this evil generation who rejects Jesus, who rejects him, this generation will be, they will stand and they will be, they will stand as witnesses and consenters of the crucifixion. They will stand as witnesses of of all the killings of the prophets, it is this generation who rejects Jesus that Jesus is talking about. I think verse 52 makes that a little bit more clear. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So in this final woe, Jesus is saying they've taken away the key of knowledge. What is the key of knowledge? I, I think that's, that's access into God's kingdom. It's the, it's the knowledge of the gospel that's allowing them to enter God's kingdom. So not only do they fail to enter the kingdom, they're keeping others from doing the same, and they're causing them to oppose his message. This would be the generation, both leader and their followers, who would be judged for this evil they will receive this condemnation. So Jesus finishes his his sayings, these hard words, and verse 53 closes out this narrative. As Jesus went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Friends, that's not friendly debate language, lying in wait for him. You can see right off the bat that they're about to fulfill the, G- the, prophet, the prophecy that, that Jesus is giving. They're lying in wait for him to find something by which they can condemn him to death. Now, church, when I read this story, I'm flooded with emotions, various emotions. And, and I just want to share some of those with you. The things that, that grieve my heart when I read these things. One... I read this story and I, I can't help but grieve the, the state of these, men, these men's heart and, and that, that group of people that he's speaking to that are going to ultimately kill Jesus. It, it, it grieves me to, to read about this story of just how these people have the word of God. They have the word of God and yet God comes and they simply reject him and kill him. Two, I feel a deep sadness and fear when I read these texts for those who reject Jesus and his message. It, it, it breaks my heart. I feel those words that Jesus spoke over them. I feel that woe to you rising up in my heart. I feel it. I feel the woe to you for the world who's, who's perishing in sin. And I just want to say, friends, the Lord does not waste his words. He doesn't waste his emotions. His, his challenge here to these guys is very intentional. And he's, he's so moved to utter these, these words of rebuke because he's concerned for them. He's, he's scared for the judgment that's coming on them. And if he's that concerned for that generation, shouldn't we pay attention for our generation? Jesus spoke about hell and judgment more than anyone else in the Bible. He did. And yet somehow it's so easy for us to dismiss the, the, to dismiss the fact that hell is real, to dismiss the fact that, that the lost are heading there 
and to convince ourselves that somehow they're going to be okay without Christ. You know, you just hear that all the time, those words, they're in a better place. Friends, this is not a they're in a better place kind of rebuke that Jesus is giving here. This, no, this is, this is a, a warning. Jesus says, woe to you who are lost and blind. He's concerned and we should be concerned for the wicked generation that we live in. Amen? Jesus, uh, Jesus's woes, um, you know, they, they demand me today to, to tell you if you're not trusting Jesus and anyone else in the world about the misery coming on you, about the misery coming on them. If you reject Jesus and pretend that you're standing in neutral ground, you're like, you know, I don't, I don't hate Jesus. I don't hate his teachings. You know, that's, you're, you're really on no better footing than these guys who are going to kill Jesus. We, we don't, Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. There's really no middle ground. It's you're, you're either he is the king or he's not. Three, I feel grieved and fearful at the ways my own heart is, it can be, can be so, how prone I am to such, such hypocrisy and darkness. I, I feel grieved and it scares me. I'm asking the Lord for mercy. Woe to me if I take away the key of knowledge from you, church, in the way that I preach, in, in any sort of false teaching, in the way that I behave. Woe to me if, if I am a hypocrite and I have a faulty rule book that I distract you away from what is, what is central to the gospel. God help me, God help us pastors not to fall into these sorts of errors. Appreciate your prayers there. I pray that we will be faithful to you, faithful pastors, that our hearts will be all about God and all about you. Finally, I'm grieved for the ways that we as a church are prone to hypocrisy. I think Jesus would say, Woe to us if we, if we treat Jesus' commands as suggestions. Woe to you and me if our rule books are more important to us than God's word. Woe to you and me if we're, if we're willing to give a little money to the church, but we're unwilling to make ourselves personally available socially, materially, emotionally to people that are in need. Said, I did my thing. I, I, I tied a little bit. I put in the bucket. But no, no, no. I'm not, I, can't, I can't get into that mess. Woe to you and me if we present ourselves here as all pretty and, and good on the outside. And, and yet inside we are just full of lust, of greed, of pride. If inside we actually have a distaste for God's people. If we have a distrust of other people. If we have a, 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 just, just a dislike overall for the church and for God. What, woe to us. Woe to us if, if we go through the motions, but we have no real love for, you, for God. Friends, are we, are we going through the motions, or do we love God and his people and what we do? So important. And I think Jesus would say, woe to you if you reject my word of rebuke. If you reject your brothers and sisters who rebuke you, who call you on your sin, who call you on your hypocrisy. Jesus lovingly shows us what's on our hearts. And, and, and I was saying this sort of before, but, but I just, I think that if any of us understood what was over the hill as the, the goodness, the mercy that God is calling us to when he says, leave that sin, when that friend says, leave that sin, if any of us could see the freedom that we would attain just over the hill, I'm convinced that we would be inviting, saying, please, please, please help me not to walk in hypocrisy or sin. We'd be opening ourselves up to one another, wouldn't we? If we could see who we would become in Christ, we get so scared. We get so scared of other people seeing the darkness of our hearts. And friends, wouldn't we want them to know and understand the real us so that, we, so that they can help us, so that we can walk together in being free and, and walking in, in that freedom together? Yeah. Amen.
May it be so for us. May it be so for us. And now I need, I need to, to end on this, on this good news for you. Here's, here's good news for us today from the Apostle John. Listen to these, these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the Son, name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Friends, this is God's heart for you. He doesn't want you to perish in your sin. He doesn't want any of us to perish in our sin. So he sent his son. He sent his son to warn us, to warn us that we are condemned already already unless we believe in him. And any of us who are putting our faith in Jesus right now, even though every single one of us has blood on our hands, All of us, every one of us has blood on our hands unless we look to Jesus. Because what Jesus did at the cross is he took on the punishment, the condemnation that you and me deserve. He took on that punishment so that we wouldn't have to face God's wrath, but instead we would simply get what he deserves. We would get eternal life. We would get everlasting relationship with God and others in Joy without sin. That's what Jesus deserved, not us. But he gives us that in Christ. Amen. Amen. He rose from death affirming that message. So I want to just call you to the risen Lord. If you don't know him, now's the time. Come to Christ. Run from the wrath of God into the, the arms of Jesus. God welcomes you to himself right now. And church, I want to call you to examine your hearts right now. Be careful lest the light you think you have is actually darkness. Be careful. I'm praying that light, the light of Christ would just shine in in these next few moments, expose our hypocrisy. We, we'd be able to say, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm done with that blind spot. May it be so that he'll expose our blind spots and that also Christ's light will begin to shine in great ways to others. Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Father, we need you. We praise you for this warning. It's a hard word, but we ask, God, that you would transform us. Even right now, God, I pray that you would work miracles in this room, that you would break, bring breakthroughs, show people the lies that they're believing. Help us. Help us, God. If, and we just ask that there would be true breakthrough, true repentance from sin, and that all of us would be a little bit holier, a little bit purer, because we, we lay down our, our sin at your feet. And and we begin to walk in the righteousness of Christ. Give us strength for that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.